Chapter Seventeen of The Sea Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elliot Miller. The Sea Witch by Matcher and Murray Ballou. Chapter Seventeen The Poison Bottle. Of course, Don Leonardo was amazed to see his friend deeming him by this time either in an English prison or dead. He learned with amazement that part that Maud had performed, for Charles Bramble was forced to reveal to the father, who was eager to inquire after his daughter. Though Charles felt not the least compunctions of conscience as to the matter, yet he now fully realized the cause of all her enmity, though of this he said not a word to her father. Don Leonardo cheerfully joined this newcomer in completing his business arrangements, and Charles Bramble found himself the rightful owner of some eight thousand dollars in gold, the product of the goods which he had landed as his private venture, and he also took good care to forward true bills of credit to his owners in Cuba, for the specie which had been sent out to him to purchase slaves. These business arrangements consummated, he now began to think seriously of once more revisiting the scenes of his childhood, Bramble Park. He doubted not that Helen and her mother would arrive at their own early home, which adjoined that of Bramble Park, and which, by the way, had been leased during their settlement in India, as early as he could himself procure conveyance which would enable him to reach the spot. With this idea he eagerly scanned the horizon daily, hoping for the arrival of some craft, even a slaver that might bear him away, either towards America or Europe, so that he might get into the course of travel. One morning, when he had as usual gone up to the lookout, and scanned the sea-view far and near, he at last came down to the breakfast-room with his face quite speaking with inward satisfaction. He had seen a sail, evidently a large merchantman and begged Don Leonardo to go up and see if together they could not make the stranger out more fully. Charles himself thought that she was a heavy and evidently steering for the small bay on which the factory stood. But their curiosity was soon to be satisfied, for spar after spar gradually became more and more clearly defined, until at last the deck itself could be seen, and St. George's Cross observed flying saucily in the breeze. The ship was a British sloop of war, and so it proved. In an hour more Captain Robert Bramble came on shore, accompanied by Helen and her mother, with Maud Leonardo. As it afterwards appeared, Maud desired to be brought back to her father, and the English ship was but performing its appointed duty in cruising on the coast, while Helen, knowing that Charles had come hither, persuaded her mother that it was best to sail with Captain Bramble, rather than stop in Sierra Leone, among utter strangers. For on shipboard they were under his care, and besides, as she admitted to her mother, she had good reason for supposing that Captain Will Ratlin, for thus the mother knew him still, was at Bay Salo, as Don Leonardo's factory was called on the coast. Thus it was that they were once more on this spot. The brothers met before the collected members of the returning party and those on the shore, and regarded each other with a stern glance. It was the only token of recognition which passed between them. But Charles hastened to Helen's side, 
and pressing her hand tenderly, looked the words that he could not speak before others. Mrs. Huntington seemed overjoyed, too, adjoining one whom she felt was a true friend to herself and daughter, and unhesitatingly evinced this feeling, while Maud and Captain Robert Bramble walked by themselves filled with bitter thoughts. Robert had at once presumed as to whither his brother had escaped, well knowing that he must here have left unsettled business accounts of great value and importance. He therefore was prepared for this meeting which took place as we have seen. The quadroon saw Helen and Charles thus together. She saw the delight that this meeting caused to both. She was witness to the elegant language of the eyes that beamed into each other, and then she hastened from the spot, crazed with bitterness of feeling, and fall of direful purpose. Had she been observed at that moment, it would have been seen that there was danger in her. To her father's kind salute she turned a deaf ear, and hastened into the dwelling with headlong speed. Charles and Helen had much to say to each other. Now that he had told his love, now that the dark veil had been removed from the past that had obscured his origin, he felt confidence, and spoke with manly cheer and a light heart. The most indifferent observer would have noticed this, and it waits not without its effects upon Helen, who looked brighter and happier than ever before, and the two succeeded at once in infusing a degree of cheerfulness all around them, reflected by Helen's mother and even Don Leonardo, with his heavy eyebrows and shaggy beard. Captain Robert Bramble and Maud alone seemed unhappy, and they were moody indeed. It was towards the twilight hour, on the very day of the arrival, which we have referred to, that Charles and Helen arm in arm started away from the house to the adjacent jungle, which, where it was a pleasant trysting place, with a seat prepared for resort from the house. Breathing into each other's ears the glad and trusting accents of true love, they sauntered slowly hither and sat down there, Helen upon the rude but comfortable seat and Charles at her feet upon the ground. About them grew the rank, luxuriant foliage of Africa, fragrant flowers bloomed within reach of their hands, and luscious fruit greeted the eye whichever direction it sought. The soft air of the after-part of the day was laden with sweetness, and they seemed to gather fresh incentive for tenderness and love in the particular surroundings of the spot. "'So you have broken off all connection with this business, and have settled your accounts with Don Leonardo, have you not?' asked Helen, of him at her feet. "'Yes, dearest. All has been done, and I shall have no more to do with the trade of this unhospitable coast, you may be assured. My only hope and desire is once more to see you and your mother safe in England, where I can make you by sacred ties of my own. Helen looked the tender response that beat in her heart, but which her lips refused to pronounce. She was very, very happy, and they talked over olden times, childish recollections, and the memories of their early home. While Charles and Helen were thus engaged, two other individuals closely connected with the plot of our story were not idle. Captain Robert Bramble was now satisfied that without physical force he could not intervene between his rival brother and Helen Huntington. He would gladly have done this, but policy prevented, 
for he saw that in doing so he would but gratify his revenge without approaching a single step nearer the consummation of his wishes. It was nearly the appointed date for the sailing of his ship from the station for England, and he had made up his mind to return at once to Sierra Leone and prepare to sail homeward. He had already taken leave of Mrs. Huntington, and was seeking her daughter to say farewell. The wind was fair, he would sail within the hour, and on inquiring for Helen he was told by someone that she had been seen a few moments before walking towards the jungle. The informant did not say, in the company of whom she so evidently loved, and Robert Bramble hastened forward in hope that he might meet her there, alone. Perhaps even one more pressed that oft-rejected suit. He even thought as he went what he would say to her, and wondered how she would receive him. It was difficult to say what it was in his bosom which caused him so tenaciously to pursue this vain desire. His was not the heart to die for love. It amounted almost to a obstinacy. He was self-willed, and was accustomed to have his own way in all things. Here he had been thwarted from the very outset. Maud Leonardo, since her arrival home, was scarcely herself. She avoided all intercourse, spoke to no one, and locked herself in her chamber. But now she started front, intent on some purpose, as was evident from the direct and prompt step she pursued. Yes, from her window she had seen Charles and Helen wander leisurely and affectionately towards the jungle. And to the same point she now directed her steps, though by a circuitous path. She muttered to herself as she went, and walked with unwanted speed, as though she feared to lose one moment of time. At this quick pace she was soon hidden in the pass of the thick undergrowth and forest land. "'Hark! What sound is that?' said Helen, suddenly turning and peering into the thick foliage which surrounded the spot. "'I hear nothing,' replied Charles Bramble. "'It was some bird, perhaps, among these branches. But why do you look so pale, Helen?' "'It is so terrible. I thought the sound was like that of one of those terrible serpents that frequent these parts, the anaconda, creeping towards us.' "'Nay, dearest, it was but your imagination.' These reptiles avoid the near approach to human habitations. I would not likely to be here. There, there it is again, she said convulsively, drawing closely to his side, while both looked towards the spot from whence at that moment a sound proceeded. In a moment more there broke forth from the clustering vines and trees the figure of a man with a drawn sword, who hastened with lowered brow towards them. It was Robert Bramble incensed beyond endurance at this sight which met his vision through the vista of the foliage on approaching the spot. He paused for but one single moment. Then, yielding to the power of his almost ungovernable temper, he drew his sword and rushed forward, determined to sacrifice his brother's life. Helen, seeing plainly and instantly the state of affairs, threw herself with a scream of terror before Charles to protect him. Unarmed as he was, from the keen weapon that gleamed in his brother's hand. But strange are the ways of providence, and past finding out. At that instant he staggered, reeled forward, and placing one hand to his forehead, fell nearly at their feet. Amazed at this, Charles and Helen both hastened to his side. But he was speechless, and ere he could be removed from the position in which he fell, 
life was wholly extinct. What was it that had so strangely, so suddenly sacrificed him in the midst of his fell intent? Hark! Charles starts as a shrill, low whizzing sound was heard close to his ear. The mystery is explained. A poisoned barb had killed his brother, entering the eye and piercing the brain, while this second one that had just whistled past his ear had been intended for him. He turned hastily to the direction from which the missile had come, and there stood a rather staggered Maud Leonardo. He hastened now to her side as she gradually half knelt, half fell to the ground. Her eyes rolled madly in their pockets. Her hands grasped vainly at the air, and she muttered incoherently. "'Maud, Maud, what have you done?' asked Charles, leaning over her. "'The bob was poisoned. It was meant for you,' she half shrieked. I'm dying, dying unrevenged of this scorching, burning pain. What ails you, Maud? What can we do for you? asked Charles kindly. I am poisoned, groaned the quadroon, holding up her lacerated hand, which she had carelessly wounded with one of the barbs intended to have killed him. The barb she had wounded and killed Robert with was blown through a long hollow reed a weapon much used in Africa, and the barb had been dipped in poison so subtle, rapid and sure in its effect, that the wound the girl had received accidentally in her hand was fast proving fatal to her. In Robert Bramble's case it had reached a vital part at once, and had almost instantly fatal in its effect. But Maud was dying. "'Poor, poor girl! What shall we say to your father?' asked Charles for he knew full well the fatal poisons in which the negroes dipped their tiny barbs, and he realized that the quadroon, who was a victim to her own scheme of destruction, could not live but a few moments. She seemed too far gone to speak now, and turned and writhed in an agony of pain upon the ground, while Helen strove to raise her head and to comfort her. The poison seemed to act upon her by spasms, and she would have a moment now and then, when she was comparatively at ease. The lowering darkness of her face was gone now. A serenity seemed to be gathering there, and leaning forward between the paroxysms, she held forth a hand which was not wounded towards Charles Bramble, who stood tenderly over her, and said in a low, gentle voice, "'Forgive me. Will you, will you not forgive me?' "'With all my heart, poor girl, I do sincerely forgive you said Charles earnestly. All was not black in that human heart. The half-effaced image of its maker was there still, and Maud looked tenderly and penitently upon Helen and Charles. The former knelt by her side, and drawing the poor girl's hands together across her breast as she lay upon the ground, lifted her own hands heavenward, moving her lips in prayer as she bent over the sufferer. What little Maud knew of religious instruction had been taught her in the form of the Episcopal Church, and now she listened to the formal prayer from the litany appropriate to her situation. A sweet smile gathered over her face as Helen proceeded, and prayed for forgiveness for all sins committed, and as she paused at the close three voices repeated the word Amen. Charles and Helen rose to their feet, but the spirit of the quadroon had fled. End of chapter 17